people, a lot of the people who are listening to our show, obviously it's a real estate podcast. What would you say is sort of your main reason or the reason that many of your students, I, I, I'm suspecting many of them are in real estate too. What 80%. is the reason to diversify? Why would one want to do both? What are the pros and cons of, in your opinion, of each strategy? And, and why would one want to have a mixture of both options and real estate in their portfolio rather than just, you know, say, hey, like just focus on real estate, for example? Yeah, um, that's a very loaded question. But I, I love know. that question. Very good question. Here's the thing. In real estate, there's ways you can make fast money. Wholesaling, flipping. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors. Thanks for tuning in. We have Cody Ye on the show today. And I am trying my best not to keep these intros too long because I find that guests do a better job of introducing themselves. But I will tell you a little bit about Cody. So Cody, the reason we brought Cody on the show today is because he kind of has this amazing harmony between two worlds that are usually far apart. So real estate and stocks. Um, I find that people are either on one side of the the fence or the other. And, uh, you know, there's the diehard real estate investors and then there's the diehard stock investors. And um, I think Cody brings a lot of value because he is a little bit of both. Uh, there's pros and cons to both. And they kind of can coexist in one ecosystem, which is what Cody will show us and share with us today. So, um, you know, Cody uh, is obviously uh, got a great story of his own uh, from being an immigrant, going to university, getting a quote unquote good job, just like many of our guests to evolving into a world where he discovered uh, something more for himself and has developed uh, quite a uh, comprehensive business and system um, that allows him both uh, time and financial freedom. So uh, thanks for being on the show, Cody. Maybe you can uh, give us a quick introduction about yourself and uh, you know what led you to where you are today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jose and Kahija. I hope I pronounced it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks for that great intro. I really just keeping it real. Um, and I, I really think there's a reason why a lot of real estate investors don't like stocks and a lot of stock investors don't like real estate. And I'm the person that done both, currently doing both. And my business partner has more than hundred units in the multifamily on the real estate side. And myself, I have hundreds, actually thousands of students on the stock option side. And I was a guest speaker for TD Direct Investing. So don't believe what I said, but there's instit institutional backing of it. And I try to keep things very simple. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, you're welcome. So to tell us about your background on, you know, you went to engineering school um, and how, what what got you into uh, looking at other avenues to make money and, and eventually leave your corporate job? Yeah, um, I did not grow up in an entrepreneur family. My dad was a doctor. 
is still a doctor. Um, one of the most genius anesthesiologists I know in my home country, but be very honest, he's not good with finance. So growing up, he invests in 10 restaurants just because of a handshake and he likes the guy and the guy speaks the same dialect kind of thing. You know what I mean? And he he went on and lost more money in, in stock market and all that. So there was a point where second year of university almost couldn't finish school because um, that was 2010. And, you know, we all know what happened during that time. So um, yeah, thank, thank, thank God his partner uh, kind of jump in and help out that. So I really cherish that. Push me through the school and graduate with no debt. And that's when, you know, I chose engineer, not because I like engineer. Yes, I come from Asian background, kind of stereotype is I'm good at math and I'm actually good at math, really good at math. Um, so I chose engineer because doctor degree takes too long and there's no certainty. And um and a business school, usually at that time, very shallowly. I, I thought people who go to business school usually already have some family member have a business to take over, right? So, or they would really want to go to investment banking and all that side. So I'm like, you know what? It's still kind of gamble. I'm going in like fist fighting with them. So I'm like, you know what? Engineers are very safe. I can earn, you know, maybe 60K start with graduating. That's not bad. So I did that. And uh, I started working for Honda for six years. Uh, as a project manager, imagine a lot of, I think before I quit, we managed up to a hundred million just accumulated over six years, industrial project, but not residential or commercial. Um, taught me a lot of stuff at the of contractor, but more importantly, I found that, um, I was working a lot of overtime. I was putting in 400 to 800 hours of overtime every year. I look at my paycheck. Yes. I'm making more than six figure, but half of that over time, the margin tax rate goes to the government. And thankfully, you know, I, I, I save up enough money. I remember I, the first house I bought with my mom, I saved a 37,000 with my mom and we bought a bungalow in Toronto 2016 for half a million. And right now, because it's a, a RA a residential apartment zoning. So um, actually developers are come in at 1.8 million and that's only, you know, six, six years and all that as a law in the Eglinton LRT. Okay. So that kind of, you know, looking back, great. But at that time it's like, oh my God, why are you buying that small bungalow post-World War II? What are you doing here? You inherit a tenant that's paying way below market value, right? So anyway, that was our first one. And I bought another one. Uh, the second one is 2017 near Honda. And I just bought it. I think I bought it for 460, sold it for 1 million on the dot. February, 2022. And then, you know, and after that, I did two legal duplex in 2019. And now we're doing a, a first so-called garden suite in Bowmanville is actually not just a garden suite. It's a full bungalow. It's a one square feet smaller than the bungalow up front. Oh, wow. Um, and then we have a huge, like, it's a deep lot. So uh, it's very beautiful. So I, I'm probably going to make a YouTube video uh, when, when it's fully complete. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, super cool. We, um, you know, we just recently did a development project, which finished and, you know, that was, I've, I've, we've done a lot of renovations, but uh, a ground up development is a whole new ball game. You know, it's, it's, um, takes a lot out of you. So how was that experience going through that, uh, garden suite, um, process? Um, I'll say, for the legal duplex, I hope my contractor for legal duplex is not listening to this. If he's listening to this, I think he knows. Um, <laughs> I'm not very happy with the legal duplex contractor because that was the hype of February 
2022 was hard to find a good contractor. All the good contractors are six months out. So I have yeah. to make a decision whether I'm going to wait for six months empty or let someone I don't trust that much to come <laughs> in who's local. I only hire local people because they work better with the city inspector and all that. Yeah. Lo and behold, I did, I try to do my due diligence and, um, you know, second day, uh, the, uh, police was on site. I wasn't there. Uh, uh, second day after possession, they came in with six jackhammer in the basement, digging up the basement and the police was on site. So when someone, some of our neighbor called the police and because <laughs> my contractor is local, uh, it was okay. You know, uh, and we haven't got the permit at that point. Um, but it was still okay. Anyway, that, that pushed it through. That was the longest legal duplex. If you guys want to hear like failure story, like I wouldn't say that's a failure story in the past legal duplex, like what, four to six months, longest yeah. six months I ever experienced. This one drag out, like our basement just got rent out literally February 1st. So I was oh, after one year, I was so shocked. And anyway, that's that. But our a contractor for ADU was so great. And we, we chose a competitor that I didn't go with. I did all the due diligence and I liked their open book and they put 15% on top as a GC cost, but they have experience building new bill, right? And okay. this person, yeah. this GC has a team of nine under T4 and used to build in Toronto for like bigger developers. So, so far so good. It's only been five months start building and we have a full house putting in kitchen next week. Very happy. It's not cheap, but it's really a lot less headache because you help a lot dealing with the, the city. The city, uh, you know, of Clarenton, we were the first one, so they don't really know what to expect, right? They don't really talk of each other in the city, right? Water don't talk with planning, planning don't talk of architect, <laughs> you know. Um, so they give us the stamp, but end up when we actually dig things up, they're like, oh, you need to do certain things. But we're like, well, you put the stamp on it. They're like, oh, no, our wise department never look at it. Like, well, but you put a stamp on it. So we kind of have to work with them, but they kind of give a take kind of the contracting yeah. world. So, um, so that's great. We're really happy. And we're, we have one of my students, actually uh, a VP of designer for Umbra again, shout out to Umbra. I'm getting a very great discount for them. They make really good stuff. So yeah, we actually last night we was on a meeting coming up with all the deco for it because that full house originally we Claudette, my fiance, myself, we're going to move in. But now we're thinking that it's a bit too far. We love North York, but we're yeah, yeah. a bit too far. So we're going to um, rent out maybe like short term to midterm executive rental because there's a hospital five minutes away. OPG is moving their headquarters there in one year. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, when you step out of your comfort zone, you kind of realize that this is it's a lot more work, right? Um Maybe, you know, uh, share with us some of the, the numbers on that deal. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I believe I never sure there's any podcast. Yet. So laugh at me if you guys want. I sold that $1 million property. I took all the proceeds, put it in this additional dwelling unit. I bought it for $1.05 million for a bungalow. For a bungalow with a deep lot, 53 by 220. Yeah. Um, and then we built a legal duplex. That was the most expensive legal duplex ever built. Again, I think all in was like 150. All finished. It's not too too bad. I mean, not unreasonable, I would say. In 2019, each of the legal duplex cost me 60 to 80K yeah. all in. So yeah. I was so shocked. Anyway, moving forward. <laughs> um, 
So that was done. We're like, okay, now our cost is at 1.2 mil. Oh my God. Okay. We look at the legal triplex uh, before the market started coming down was about 1.5 million. We're like, oh my God. Okay. We only have 30,000, a $300,000 room to go and 80% of that, we're not going to get our money out. Lo and behold, you know, the code come back, you know, it's all about like 350 to like 450. So I didn't pick the cheapest one. I picked the person with the most experience and I asked him, you know, what's the contingency? He said about 10%. Great. Right now, up to this point, spent about 400K. I believe we have mm-hmm. 50K more to go, uh, 50K to 100K more to go. So all in with all the design, all that stuff, all the soft costs, all the landscaping for the parking lot right in the middle, two backyards, about half a million. So all in cost is 1.7. With the market softening, I don't think I'll get 1.5. So I will probably have to hold it for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a long term buy and hold, right? And you was your intention to sell it or oh. just to refinance it? Well, at least pull some money out yes, would be great. Refinance it, yeah. But right now the legal duplex up front rent off for 2300 up, uh 1800 down, tenants pay all the utility. So that's covering our mortgage before we renew the mortgage. <laughs> Right. Because the rate basically double, right? Um, um, so we probably like the, the, the new ADE will probably rent out for about 5,000, even just a long-term rental because it's so nice. It has its own backyard parking in the middle of nowhere, all, everyone's backyard. So probably rent about 5,000, uh, sh- you know, short to midterm, maybe 6,000 to 8,000. So we're definitely going to break even and, and make a lot more uh, on the cash flow side to carry whatever cost that right. lending is. It's our own money. So there's no investor on it. So we're not sweating when yeah. we go over cost. But as a, you know, if there's investor money, I'll be like, oh my God, like I'll be like losing sleep. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and um, you know, it's um, obviously nobody anticipated what was going to happen, right? Uh, that so... Including us, we we were caught in some deals that we're uh, we're going to take a loss on. So, it's it's just nature of the game, right? Yeah. yeah. So talk to us. I mean, we talked about real estate. We talked about your transition into real estate. Now let's talk about the stock sides, which is a big part of what you do. Um, and 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 I know what you're known for. So talk to us a little bit about how you got into that, why you chose to do that, and more specifically, options. Yeah, trading. options trading, yeah. and um, how you've sort of built a business around that. Yeah. So it all kind of started uh, 2011, second year at university. I was an engineer, but I. Like as an engineer, like Jose probably know, as an international student, I play a fl- I pay a flat fee. So six courses, we're always fully loaded. So I want to take more courses. They don't allow me to enroll in. So I have to ask my friends who are in those business minor course, accounting, corporate finance, anything about investing. I'm like, what is your timetable? I, I, I just find out, I put it on my calendar and I go sit in the back until the professor is like, hey, who are you? I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm just sitting in. Do you want me to leave? I really like this. I just don't have room. So usually they let me stay. And that's how I learned a lot of the, the kind of my, my business minor um, ideas. And But what I found is that a lot of what they teach in school don't really apply in real life in terms of investing. They say they teach you about investing, but they really teach you the theory and how do you calculate things, but they don't tell you how to identify things to invest mm-hmm. and what to do when you run into troubles and all that. So. Um, after school, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. I thought 
school is it. But after school, uh, I just invested in some boring banking stocks, right? TD and all that, get some dividend, you know, like the typical, some ETF. I'm like, this is too boring. This is too slow. So I know a friend of a friend who was a day trading coach. Um, at that time, I was 26. She was 24. Um, you know, when you're younger, you're like, get drawn to the, the lifestyle, right? Like, oh, wow, she's driving a Rolls Royce. She's flipping Hermes bags. She must be doing really well. <laughs> um, and now she was doing pretty well. She taught me the game, how not to lose money. Start small. I learned the game. I learned about a lot of psychology and all that. But what I found is that, yes, I was actually ha having a second job because I have a full-time job, putting a lot of overtime and, and going to like all these real estate seminars. If I'm not real estate seminars, every day from 6 p.m. to about 10 p.m., I'm trading the Asian market because of the 12-hour difference. That's the only mm -hmm. way I could do it. So I learned that for a grind it for two years. At first year, I remember for six months, I, I keep losing money. And she's like, she's smiling at me, but yeah, you have to go through that. I'm like, well, you are my coach. So why are you happy that I'm losing money? She's like, because you have to lose small money. So you will start making money. So anyway, I learned that, but I found that the return on time and the return on stress is not worth it. And it's not scalable because you're going in and out too fast when your account gets bigger, when you're managing other people's money, you can't really swing the money like that, right? That's when I started getting to the options. And, you know, at first, you know, we were like in 2018, we start with just, you know, selling options on individual stocks. What that means just that we basically are like insurance company. We sell insurance contract and you know, we don't mind owning a stocks at a cheaper price, right? That yeah. went pretty well until COVID. And after COVID until last year, where the stock market really just kept going up, right? But it, when it come down, a lot of the stress was, you know, everyone understand that we're holding the stocks for the long term. But a lot of our alumni, a lot of our students, a lot of people, just even not my students in my Facebook group are like, oh my God, Cody, like, can you imagine Shopify drop 80% in one year? That's like the biggest company. Facebook drop 80%. They know they need to hold long term, but a lot of them don't have really what it takes to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Like, Cody, I thought it was going to be consistent cash flow. So we listen to a lot of our uh, students and work out all the kinks of consistency. That's the word we keep hearing. That's why people love real estate. It's boring, but it's consistent if they don't raise the interest rate. <laughs> yeah. um, so we work out that we don't pick stocks anymore. We just base our strategy on S&P 500. This is the the index that Warren Buffett said, if he cannot find a successor, he will rather put all his money in S&P 500. So right now, our strategy is based on S&P 500, less volatility, and you know, and more consistency. And you know, just humble brag, um, you know, our 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 account for the last six months has been having a hundred percent win rate. Um, and we're making one point five to four point five percent. Again, I don't want to. Like people get hinged on that. We always want to aim for the lower side, 1.5%, because that's still more than private lending. And, right. and people yeah, are lending amazing. on the HELOC. The spread is a lot smaller. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, are, are scared. A lot of people are lending on promissory notes. So I pull back all my money. I pull back 800K that I lend it out for promissory notes because I know a lot of people are over leveraged and I have more broker friends and they told me that as well. So I pull all back. At first, it's kind of like, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to swim naked and uh, you know, when a tie goes out, right? The good ones yeah. I keep, make, making friends and keeping their relationship, I keep, but more of the uh, beginner investor and all that, I pull all back, right? If I don't know where the money's going, they kind of moved A to B and 
to different projects. I'm like, okay, no, I'm taking it back. Like, it's okay. I don't need the return. It's fine. Just whatever count and I'll take it back. Right. No, definitely that, you know, there's a lot of people that over leverage themselves in the real estate industry. So that, you know, when the market turned uh, with the promissory note, nothing's backing against that, um, that note, you're, you know, you're in for a rude awakening. Uh, so a lot of people have been caught with that. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really at the end of the day, um, sometimes it's deceiving, right? Like what you see on social and who, like what people are actually doing, like there's no way for you to actually understand what their books are, um, especially just based on a promissory note. They have the ability to to shift that around without your knowledge, exactly like what you said, right? So uh, they could easily have liquidated something and shifted the money into another project and without full transparency, like there's there's really little that you could. And and honestly, like for those who do it, I mean, not to say that there's there's people who successfully private lend too, but um, the recourse is, is very tough if mm-hmm. you don't get paid. So uh, nobody's talking about that side, right? You hear all these mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, I'm getting paid like 17% and yeah. 15%. And I mean, that's all wonderful until something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Until the leverage on leverage and they can't pay you and they're thinking about, okay, who's the last person I can pick? Anyway, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We're not, but we're not, for sure. Whoever is but worried, I'm... they should really, you know, think about it. And, you know, just, it's more about preserving capital, especially when you have a bigger account. Like I use, I used to be go, go, go. But once you have a, you know, multiple seven figure account and just the net worth and all that, you're like, how do I protect that? And it's okay. I don't make money, but I'd rather take the net set back when I can. And I, I just focus on what I do best or set and done strategy. I have full control. If I lose money, cool. That's all my account, right? Everyone sees it, sure, laugh at it, but it's all me. I don't have to report to anyone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us, tell me a little bit about that. You mentioned there's a set and done strategy that you use. So like exactly what it, what is it? I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, I know that options trading is a complex strategy and, yeah. and there's obviously- So I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that it is, uh, your strategy is selling puts on yeah. so, blue chip stocks. Um, so that's our beginner course, uh, selling puts on blue chip stocks. So the easiest way to break this down is our set and done strategy is kind of like our cash flow strategy. We take profit, we take losses, but what we have a 95 to 98% win rate. I know right now I say 800%, but I know sometime going to get caught when I'm going to get caught is when COVID happened. Either way. So the only time we get caught is if S&P 500 moved more than 15% in one month, we will get caught. But what is the chance of that, right? Maybe happen once every two to three years, mm-hmm. maybe five years, right? But other time we're going to make the cash flow. So when we get caught, we get back three to 6% of return. So if we make 3%, 3%, 3% for one to three years, we get caught, give back 6%, we're still net up. We're not owning anything. So we don't hold any bag. If this market continue to go neutral, we're bearish. So that's where we make our cash flow. And that's more consistency. If people say, hey, you want to reach your fire, financial freedom, that's more consistent. So either you want to save that money, spend that money, replace your income, use that. And then our beginner strategy of selling options on individual stocks is we can use those proceeds for the mid to slower, longer term money. You can use those to buy index buy stocks at a cheaper price, right? So that's the easiest way to explain, you know, kind of like, I wouldn't call it the fast money, but the more uh, liquid money is our cash flow strategy, which is a set and done strategy. 
And then the longer term, the long-term way of buy and hold at a, you know, only them a cheaper price is our selling options on individual stocks. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so with um, the volatility in the stock market, especially with the downturn uh, because of the options strategy, you were, you're, it's not like you're taking the loss as the stock market investors would you're, you're hedging your risk because of the positions that you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's without confusing anyone, one major difference between stocks, stocks is kind of like real estate, right? How much you buy it for, how much you sell it for, great. The difference between stock and options, the option has something called time decay. It's like an yeah. insurance contract. So if I'm an insurance company, I'm selling a contract. If things doesn't change, you don't make a claim, I'm keeping all your premium. So that's still the same con concept in our set and done. But what makes our set and done strategy more powerful and more consistent is because first, we don't pick stocks. What I found for all my, even my best students, like they pick five stocks, four goes up, one comes down. That one that comes down, drag down all the gains. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take that away. So we only focus on S&P 500. Even when Tesla dropped like 60% over the past year, we were still making money because that's just one of the biggest stock in the S&P 500, right? Everything else is still kind of stabilizing, right? So we take away that. So the volatility is smaller and we just let, the time decay or so-called a premium. And like I said, we're always neutral, right? Our outlook is actually quite neutral in 2023. We think it's gonna be volatile, but still quite neutral to a bit bearish. But usually when all the companies start cutting, laying off people like Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, even Apple start laying off people, that's usually when the market bottomly, because when that's historically, that's the, the timing when CEOs all like, oh my God, we're going down. They're not going to go bankrupt. A lot of them has a lot of cash, but usually that's when the market start bottoming, right? So either way, we make money. And as long as you don't go up 15% in one month, you don't go down 15% in one month, we make our cash flow, yeah. right? And if it does, right. we have our mechanism that how do we take profit and take losses? The moment we enter, we put in those, what we call a bracket, um, bracket taking profit and losses. And, you know, I'll be traveling for a month. So, Definitely, I won't have internet all the time. So even with a seven-figure account, that's how I do it. Um, so that's why yes. it's called set and done. Not set and forget, but set and done. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, latching onto that, um, for those who are interested in, in doing something like this, um, how steep would you say is the learning curve and how much time does it take to continue their journey if they are to do this type of investing? That, that's a very good question. And, you know, as since I run a coaching program, you guys all know, um, our measurement for our success of the coaching program is how fast someone has the confidence to start trading and make their first five successful trades. So we have, in the past, I, I do one-on-one -on -one and I did courses and I did VIP. Now we combine a VIP with courses to mastermind. We have two coaches. We have a team of six. Um, that, the reason why we measure us this way is because it's more it's not for us to see, yeah, Cody's making money, all great. It doesn't really matter. It matters, is my student comfortable making money? And do they know the risks and all that? So what I found is that we need to kind of make them the money. We draw the circle really small. It's kind of like in real estate investing. Hey, like take action, take action, right? A lot of coaches say, take action, take action. But if you draw the circle small enough for them to take action, they're so safe. 
just go buy a single family home that cash flow if you can find one. Mm-hmm. What's the worst case? It's okay. You're not doing fancy rentals, da da da. You're okay. So that's kind of our a flash start program. We let people get into that, make their first five successful trade. They get hooked. You're like, okay, take out the money and go buy yourself a dinner or buy a family dinner. Make sure that money is real. Cool. Now we're talking. Okay. So now you are doing that. Now I can explain why you were doing that. So that's kind of how we teach things. We draw a small circle and the mastermind is a bigger circle because people get into masterminds like they're managing like a few hundred thousand dollar account, something that has you know multiple millions. And you need a different psychology and different skill set, right? So um, yeah. So that's how we kind of get started. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And and so with the with the like I'm just thinking uh, to myself uh, out loud with having a personally, I've done some trading in the past and in, you know, the, uh, when times are good, it's good, but how was your, you know, there, I'm sure there's been some times where you were caught with some unfortunate events. Um, how have you been able to kind of go through those uh, setbacks? Yeah, I, I don't mind sharing that because all my mastermind people see my real account as well. So I do own blue chip stocks, no matter how blue chip they are. I own Facebook and Meta, they're down. Yes, I'm still holding it, yeah. right? There's other stocks that are up and down all that. So all the money, all the new money or the money I pull back from private lending is not going into um, the, the selling options on individual stocks. That's why we're working so hard on the set and done is because I don't want more people to get their money stuck because a lot of it is like, they will lose patience. It's not me. I don't lose patience because I don't need the money. But a lot of people say, Cody, I'm losing patience. And I can't fight them. I, no matter how much I coach them, is like, remember, you agreed to yeah. hold it for five, 10 years. But it's human. That's why a lot of people can't take stocks. It's human. So we take all the human weakness part. It's like, they just lack of patience. They need something that consistently wins. They're used to the money that keep winning. Yeah. They don't you want a higher win rate, right? So it's not so much about return, but it's more about like the consistency, right? So yeah, I do hold some blue chip stocks or down. I'm still holding them if I believe in them. But if you're like bought into some meme stock and all that, then it's a different case, right? But if you're like, hey, I want to hold them for the long term, who knows? It might be one year, two years, five years, 10 years. I really don't know, right? But if the fundamental of the company, they're making money, the CEO is still knowing what they're doing. And, you know, you still want to hold a long term, then I think you're fine. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's that's good advice. Um, and I mean, from people, a lot of the people who are listening to our show, obviously it's a real estate podcast. What would you say is sort of your main reason or the reason that many of your students, I, I, I'm suspecting many of them are in real estate too. What is the reason to diversify? Why would one want to do both? What are the pros and cons of, in your opinion, of each strategy? And and why would one want to have a mixture of both options and real estate in their portfolio rather than just, you know, say, hey, like just focus on real estate, for example? Yeah, um, that's a very loaded question. But I, I love that question. Very good question. Here's the thing. In real estate, there's ways you can make fast money. Wholesaling, flipping. You're going to eventually run out of money to buy. So that's why a lot of people start raising capital, joint venture, or you know, creative financing, whatever that is, sell the yep. take back, da, da, da. But that still involves a very unique skill skills. And it's the risk just kept going up when you start pushing for it. Right. So not everyone do that. And a lot of people still have a full-time job, but even if they don't have a full-time job, not everyone is suitable to do that kind of stuff. 100%. Right. 
So a lot of real estate investors are like, you know what, Cody, I want to be more passive. I have half a million dollar. I want to private land out. Cool. I know some key coaching program, pitching people 16% promissory notes. <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but I'm like, do you know who you're lending to and all that? And they're quite afraid too, because now the primary is what, 6%, right? Plus, you know, if people are lending a HELOC, plus another 0.5, 6.5, if they land out to like 8%, 12%, 16%, the spread is a lot smaller now, right? So they're like, Cody, we already have 10 properties. Or some of them might be like, Cody, I just saving up for my first property. So what can I do? I don't want to do wholesaling. I don't want to do flipping. I don't want to do none of that. But how can I take my full-time income, save up faster? Because right now those money are on freaking index and they make 6% per year. Like, I can't even catch up the real estate price, right? The real estate price dropped, but the interest rate goes up. So your buying power is still the same. You know that, I know that. So they were like, Cody, how can we expedite that? The money generating side of things instead of just putting in a bank or in an ETF, right? So that's where they're kind of interested in this and they want to save up for their first down payment, right? So that's how I kind of did it. I speed up my down payment faster. I buy the next property. When the market, real estate market is up and I refinance, I pull a half, put into the next property and then the other half trading account. And uh, that's really the whole thing, right? You make money with your T4, with your business, whatever. Instead of just putting a really slow buy and hold, there's something in the middle that you can generate the cash flow to speed up the, the, the snowballing that. Then you can decide whether you're going to put in the long-term thing or for your lifestyle or replace your income, right? So a lot of people are lacking that right in the middle. Not the fast money, not the slow money, but something in the middle, right? So that's where our side and down strategy really fit that. Right. And I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, people are going to spend about, like flash start program, spend about 10 hours. We actually time that. We time our success based on that. And my coaches, I hold them accountable on that. Right? They usually make their trade in the first two weeks. They kind of don't know what they're doing, but they're like, Cody, I trust you. <laughs> they make them idea. They're like, okay, now tell me what I'm actually doing. Right? Um, but that, that's what I found, right? Right kind of in the middle of the, the cash flow, not fast, not slow. That's where people are interest in a better return than, than the index, but they want to preserve their capital and they don't, once they learn it, they don't want to spend too much time, right? So even managing a seven-figure account with my whole coaching program, I only spent 30 minutes per week. And they all know that my videographer is here and he's like, Cody, are you going to do trading? Okay, I'll take a break for 30 minutes. But I actually, he's like, oh, you're done? Five minutes, yeah, it's done. All right. But I know what I'm doing, right? I know what I'm doing, so... So, so the um, would you say the um, options trading is a is a cash flow strategy? Because it's generating yeah. you a consistent returns, yeah, and that you're able to use towards you know your kind of your day to day living as well as you know the excess you invest in real estate. Yeah, um, like I don't mind sharing this, but I'm actually paying my parents a few thousand dollars uh, each of them using our uh, set and done strategy, right? So instead of eating into my nest egg. Instead of giving me a, a bunch of money, I don't think they'd need money, but somehow Asian parents just, I don't know, somehow they say, we're going to keep all the money for you, but we're poor. I'm like, okay, cool. Anyway, so I give them a piece of mind, um, just paying them a thousands of dollars, but it's not my real like money that I make. It's actually the the interest I make or the interest, the profit I make from the set and done. And I'm just paying them set account, set aside. Okay. I'm paying you guys 2000 each person. Okay. I reverse engineer that how much I need to put in each account and pay you guys that. Right. Um, and that's a good way to 
really for people in my shoes or someone who's trying to replace your partner's income or gradually, and I want to say quit right away, but see the power for Mm -hmm. yourself. But, you know, and um, there's hope, right? If they want to reduce their own working hours and, and all that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's really cool. And, uh, you know, motivation for people who are listening that, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you have to reverse engineer it, you have to start, you know, people sort of get so caught up in like, overwhelm almost like, Hey, like, what do I do? Like how much, you know, do I need? But like, once you really hone in on that reverse engineering, like, Hey, I need to just generate $4,000 a month, or I need to generate 2000 or whatever it is. And then let me reverse that into figuring out, Hey, how can I generate this and what vehicles are out there and how can I educate myself enough to feel confident to invest in these vehicles? And then all of a sudden the roadmap seems to be a little bit clearer. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's really good advice. So, so Cody, I mean, you're a young guy, uh, already attained so much success, um, you know, definitely have figured things out. What do you see for yourself in like the next five years? Like, what are your goals? Are, are you looking to continue to just um, create more and more passive income? Is real estate something that you're more actively looking to get involved in? Um, what is it that that you see? And the thing I really like about you, and I think that is really cool, is that you have sort of managed to create this balance, it seems, and and created time freedom for yourself as well uh, through mm-hmm. the various things that you do. Like you, you seem to be very, very cognizant of that. Like, you know, when yes. you talked about finding the right GC or, you know, having these team members in place so that you're not there, like you're not having to run to the property every week and you're still yeah. able to grow your business and do so many things you're doing, but still be very mindful of your time. So I, I think that that's really cool, especially for somebody who's young, because there's a lot of young um, influencers out there who are very much like, yeah, let's hustle, let's hustle harder, let's work harder. Like mm-hmm. it's all about that, you know, but um, I think it's great that you've sort of figured this out. So maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Like what you've already sort of created a lot of time freedom for yourself. You have these businesses that are running. Um, what are your goals over the next while? What do you, where do you see yourself going? Yeah. Um, that's just such a great question. Again, a loaded question. I can't have <laughs> so many answers while you're talking about it, but the biggest part is because I watch a lot of millionaires and billionaires and people interview them and say, Hey, thinking back, what will you do differently? Right. For me is I know I'm 32 Yes, net worth, multiple seven figure, whatever that means. It doesn't mean anything. Like to me, somehow I'm still naive in the way that I think you can give back along the way of your success. And that will actually speed up your success because you influence more people around you. <laughs> and as a karma and prosperity, right? So a lot of my free content is kind of gearing that. I get a lot of haters for that. but um, And really, I spent 10 to 20% of my time trying to sit on the board of the sick kids hospital. Now, not that I really need to sit on it, just feel good, but I know to sit on it, either you donate enough or you raise enough capital for a good cause. Again, I kind of set that as a 10 years goal, right? I can donate 2 million. Not that I'm going to donate 2 million, but if I can find 2 million, I probably sit on the board right away. But that just kind of the means. And so like a lot of time I spend like on my podcast, we just interview the, the ER, um, director for Mount Sinai, talking about um, mental illness and drug addiction. And I interviewed another lady who's in her 70s, but when there was 15 years of her life that she was uh, actually um, actually drunk running multiple business and she had a nine-figure exit. But for 15 years, she doesn't know when she wake up and 
how did she get to a different city, right? She's like very unique in a way. Oh. So, um, and, you know, personally, my family has people who goes through depression that really kind of haunt me when I was a kid growing up. So I'm like, what's the best way I can give back, right? And right now I'm just, you know, getting the exposure because I have a lot of exposure, a lot of, you know, followers and all that. So the best thing I can help is getting those people the exposure for raising capital for the right charity that I hold really close. And I, you know, of course I asked all the hard question, right? Where are you guys putting in that money, <laughs> right? You guys call it endowment, like which fund is making that money? Of course they were like, Cody asked too much. I'm like, wait, you want me to raise money for you? Not telling me that. Um, but anyway, I'm just kind of one of those hardcore guy. Um, but once I know that I have the confidence, right? So we're raising capital for Mount Sinai's mental illness and they're great people. Like the two interview will come out probably in a few months on my podcast. That's the first, first in-person interview for those two um, people. Um, that's where I spent 10 to 20% of that. And I just believe you can start young and give back. Now, of course, all the YouTube stuff on Instagram, people get a lot of haters, but people who click understand that, right? That's um, amazing, yeah. And other than that, of course, um, the real estate side, um, I don't really talk about this, but we've been spending one year trying to start a real estate fund. But because of the environment for the past one year, um, we did not push for it. As in, when we know the real estate market is more neutral, and as a matter of fact, we think we'll actually be softer going into 2023 because we think the pain hasn't really yet be realized. I don't know if you guys agree, yeah. but a lot of mortgage broker I talk to, the five-year fix, right, that's the residential side, but even the commercial side, some of the people who are caught in like overbuying and everything is great, they're going to soon start seeing the pain. We think the pain hasn't really arrived yet, but there will be opportunity coming up in 2023. So, you know, instead of buying and riding the risk of going down, like we're looking at Airbnb arbitrage um, in the U.S., and of course, Airbnb arbitrage has kind of slowed down as well since January. <laughs> since January 2023, we're looking at the stats. We're like, oh my God, that slowed down as well. That's supposed to be a high season, but it slowed down. The rent, the, the short-term rental rent come down, long-term rental rent goes up. So my spread for that short-term rental arbitrage went away as well. So I'm like, okay, okay, we can still do it, but we got to be more careful, right? So that's kind of secretly what I've been working on the back, right? besides my coaching programs at the stage that we're very mature. Um, we, we haven't turned on any pay ads and all that. We'll probably turn it on soon just that, so that we can help more people, more people can see us. And we're finally, after three years of our coaching program organically, I think we're at the right foundation to scale that up, to help out the people in the right way, but not blow us up, implode, right? So... So real estate, that's that, and the coaching program help more people, and the kind of like the, you know, the charity side of things. Just I'm always thinking, yes, I can val volunteer in the local charity doing labor, but in my opinion, as a business owner, I always think about what's the highest and best use. Quote, quoting Ryan Carr, highest and best use of my time, and impact. Right. So, to me, is like if I have this kind of brain, this kind of drive, I can make more impact in my own way, right? So that's the way I chose. Instead of volunteering my time, how can I orchestrate all these things, pull together, and give them more exposure, right? Instead of just volunteering my labor at a local charity. Not that it's not great, but just personally, I think it's all about the impact, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I one last question I want to ask uh, you, uh, Cody, before we kind of wrap this up, is, you know, what are 
um, you've been uh, kind of uh, running a couple of businesses. What are some of the systems and processes that you have implemented? Are you uh, one of those guys where you have uh, VAs trained and 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 uh, implementing a lot of the, your backend stuff? Yeah, um, my experience with VAs because I've employed employees from all over the world um, is individually all various individually, but what I found with VAs um, is that there's limitations, not because of their language skills, because of their experience. Uh, um, I was very lucky. I still kept my first VA I hired, but I went out and hired more VA, but they're all kind of replaced. And um, the rule I set is for myself and even for my operational managers, all that is, we say all the, the highest expectation upfront. First month, this is my expectation. Second month, this is it. Third month, this is it. So you all know what you're getting into. If you're afraid, we might as well don't start. But if you're up for a challenge, let's go. And yeah. I don't set a realistic one. I set realistic one because I done it before by myself. I take 30% off. So I'm not like crazy, right? I take 30% off. Say, I think you should be able to achieve that in three months. If they don't hit it, I'm like, I'm sorry. You're probably not the right fit, right? Um, maybe not the right time, whatever. So that's kind of like the system we set in. And a lot of time what I found is everyone wants to hire A players, but when you're a startup business, A players, you can't afford. A players won't work for you. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to work with B or C players, but the more you can automate things or the more you can make it easier, yeah. and more the system you set, the less brain power they need, the more likely a C player can perform like a B player. And it takes time. So yeah, people will get it, get it. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and the reason I ask is because we're, we're going through, you know, we've been going through this process over the next last couple of years and there's, it's, uh, it's hard to find the right fit, you know, and um, we've gone through so many of them. Uh, she has interviewed a ton of people. Yeah, that's another conversation about hiring and retaining staff and all oh, Yeah. Like we can have another yeah. call about that, but yeah. anyway, Cody, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we'll put it in our show notes as well. Um, we'll put your YouTube channel, your website. And I know that if you just Google your name, uh, people can find you and reach out to you, but we'll definitely try to link as much as we can in our show notes for those of you who are looking yeah, just to put an Instagram, just put an Instagram. Cause yes, that's Instagram where I'm very well. actively and then people Absolutely. can get some value and yeah. Yeah, for no, sure. thank you so much for being on our show. Where, um, I think we've got a lot of value and our listeners will as well. I hope so. I always try to create value. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again, Cody. Appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.